Good morning. I love hearing voices sing. I can only imagine what what heaven will be like. It doesn't do any good when your Bible's upside down. So I am not Leonardo da Vinci. So open up your Bibles to chapter 3 of the letter to the Ephesians as we finished chapter 2 last week we saw that the uh, Christ in his death has brought the two into one and this is the church and so in essence we're we're going to continue that thought as Paul brings us more into a little more in depth into his thoughts so Let's pray and, and then we'll, we'll begin. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, it is truly light to our hearts, Father. Lord, I am struck by what Mark Devers has said, that you interrupted us on our way to hell. And that's exactly what you did. You intervened into our slippery slope to hell, Father, and you plucked us from the pit of despair. And you have seated us now in the heavenlies with your Son, in which we receive all the benefits of being your children. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for this promise. Thank you for intervening in our lives. And today, Lord, I just ask that now you would open our eyes to see your word, open our ears to hear your word, open our hearts to receive your word, that we would be children who love our Savior. We would be those who would go and proclaim the gospel freely, boldly, confidently to a lost world. Father, strengthen us today. Eclipse me, Lord, that Christ would be seen. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Comfort where we need to be comforted. And for all this, we will praise you, Lord, for now and forevermore. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I was thinking... I was thinking of my daughter this week, and um, not that I don't think of her often. It just wasn't this week that I thought about her. So I think about her often. But she goes and uh, um, house sits. She goes and watches people's houses, and she watches their dogs and, and, um, and everything. And so she, she takes care of their stuff. She takes care of um, their dogs, their animals, their, their, their possessions they take, she takes care of. Now, this is not an advertisement for my daughter. She is not for hire, but this is what she does do. And in this passage, we, we, we see Paul talk about a, a word called stewardship. And what God has, has made us even stewards of, what I want to say is that we, we, we see where Paul talks about these great things within this passage that we're going to look at. But yet, in Timothy, he says that we are to trust these things to faithful men. 
So this not only describes Paul, but this describes every believer that Jesus has saved, and it's our stewardship, and it's our calling. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul writes, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Great question, right? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So essentially, there's nothing that we have received that wasn't given to us. Our jobs are given to us. Our life is given to us. Our brides are given to us. Our husbands are given to us. These things are given to us as God's gifts. They're God's gifts. When, when Jenny and I do marriage counseling, we'll do marriage counseling every once in a while, and one of the things I really, I, I really want to push towards the guys is that your wife is a blood-bought gift from Christ. And we need to treat them like that. Because, see, I received a gift from God with my wife. <laughs> Which has nothing to do with this sermon. So, anyways, so if we've received it, we've re- if we, I'm just scoring points. Yeah. So then we, we, we receive these things. So let's look at this passage as we look at this and we look at what Paul re- received as this gift of God. Look at Corinthians. We're going to look at verses... Um, Uh, 1 through 13. Big section again, but we're going to get through it pretty quick this time. Paul says uh, in Ephesians 3, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. That was chapter 2, what we've talked about earlier in chapter 2, where he says, I've written briefly this mystery. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his body, apostles and pro- or his holy apostles and prophets, by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone who or what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory." fantastic passage. So the first thing I want us to look at is we, is we, we see in here where Paul says that he is a prisoner of Christ. He is a prisoner of Christ. Now, theologians go back and forth on this. They don't know if he's actually claiming himself to be a, a prisoner, uh, like he was a bond servant, or if he's talking about his imprisonment. Either way, he's bound. He's either in prison or he's a prisoner of Christ. 
And he's in prison for preaching the very gospel that God has made him a steward of. This is why he's in prison. Romans eleven thirteen. this is what Paul says to this prisonership. He says, now I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, right? He's a prisoner for the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. Galatians 1, 15 and 16 talks about this also. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So we see that Paul was a prisoner for the Gentiles, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to reveal what the church was to the Gentiles. This was Paul's mission. This was his stewardship. And that's what we look at next. This stewardship of the mystery of Christ. This is Ephesians 3, 1, uh, 2 through 6. So this stewardship, the word means the management of a household an apostolic stewardship, a ministerial commission in the publication and furtherance of the gospel. This is what Paul was. It was a stewardship. And then this word mystery, as we look at this word mystery, he was a steward of the mystery, right? This is what he says in verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. This word mystery is a, is a, a matter to the knowledge of which initiation or necessary. It's a, a secret that would remain such, but for now, but now it was revealed. So Paul keeps on going. We've got to follow his thought here. He says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, like I said back in chapter 2, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but it was revealed. So the church, this stewardship of the church, this Jew and Gentile coming together, it was a secret that wasn't revealed to the sons of men in other generations. Paul here is talking about the Old Testament. It was a secret in the Old Testament. And if you were at the study today and you paid attention, you could see where that secret was somewhat revealed a little bit in there. If you could pick it up, we could see that little part about the church, about the two becoming one, right? The new covenant. This is what Jesus does. And Paul was a steward of this mystery. That's what he was. So what's the mystery? What was the mystery that was made known to Paul? The Spirit made this known to Paul. Paul didn't all of a sudden figure it out. He wasn't reading his Bible one day and said, oh, that's it. No, this was revealed to him, right? What was revealed to him is what we briefly looked at in chapter 2 of Christ breaking down the dividing wall, that barrier, and making the two into one. But he, he comes now and he gives a little more details to this, right? He looks at this as, as the Gentiles look at this. Look at verse 6. Here's the mystery. The mystery is, there's the key. He's going to tell us what it is. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That was the mystery. The mystery was that the Gentiles and the Jews would be one and we would be the church. 
That was the plan. That was the mystery. So what God has, so what has God done for us in Christ and through Christ? This is what he's done for us. This is where we rejoice. This is where we pray. This is where our lungs praise God is for we are fellow heirs. We are fellow heirs. Now, heir means a, a fellow participant. And we know what heirs are. Heirs are the recipients to stuff that our parents leave us, right? We're heirs. But now we are heirs of God. Romans 8, listen to 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We are sons, brothers and sisters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we, don't forget this part, suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Again, in Galatians, Paul writes to the Galatian church. He says this in verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you, as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Look, at, he goes all the way back into Genesis, does he not, right? He goes all the way back into Genesis, and he says, then you are Abraham's offspring. And then if you're Abraham's offspring, guess what? You are a recipient to the covenant of Abraham. You are blessed because of it. You are Abraham's offspring, right? We're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. Galatians 4, 5. To redeem those who are under the law. This is why Christ come. So that we might receive adoption as sons. We are fellow heirs. This is what Paul is saying. This is the mystery. The Gentiles, we are fellow heirs, brothers and sisters. We are sons and daughters of the king. These truths that we look at today should blow us away. We are fellow heirs. We're not only fellow heirs, but we're members of the same body. We're joint members in a spiritual body. This is absolutely crucial that we understand that we're members of the same body. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we're members of the same body. Just take your body, right? And we're members of the same body. Nobody in here is the head. There's only one person that's the head. Who's the head? Jesus is the head. But everything else is what he's talking about, the same body. We're, 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 we're together. Not all of us are eyes, and not all of us is our noses, and not all of us are our toes. We got arms. We got, and this works together, right? And this is what Paul's saying. And when it's, when it's working together, right? When it's working, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, in, in love. We need each other. We need each other. This is the body jointly together. You know, if you woke up this morning and your, your right leg decided not to work, 
and your left arm decided not to work, boy, that would be funny walking into the church, wouldn't it? You'd be dragging and I don't even know how that would look. But that's what we need. The, the body needs to work together. We need to function together. And we'll, we'll look at more of that a little bit later. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says it this way. For just as the body is one, look at your body, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ and his body. We're all members of one body, and we function together. We need to function together. Not only are we members of the same body, but we're partakers of the promise of Christ through the gospel. We're joint partakers. Think about what, we've, what, we're, what we're partakers of. Think about uh, these blessings that we've already had. I'm going to go just, just through Ephesians. Uh, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've been chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. We've been adopted. We've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We have an inheritance. We've been brought from death to life. We've been saved by grace. We are his workmanship. We are members of his body, the church. And that's just chapters 1, 2, and 3 massive and in addition we have these eternal life eternal glory christ will return we'll rule with christ and he will never leave us or forsake us we are partakers of the body the first six verses now look with me at verses seven and nine or seven and eight in ephesians we see this stewardship to preach this stewardship to preach paul says it this way Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So this word minister means one who renders service to another. It's the word that we get servant from. The word is actually diakonos. That's the word, deacon, right? That's the word we get deacon from too. In the Greek, this is the word diakonos. It's where we get our word servant from. But Paul says something really crucial here. He says, I was made a minister. I was made a minister. If we remember, if we look back at at when I was reading in in Galatians at the very beginning, uh, when we looked at Galatians, he says this uh, in 115, but when he who set me apart before I was born, This is what happened with Paul. He was made a minister. This means one thing. Paul was not a self-appointed person. He did not appoint himself to the position of apostle. He is clear. He was made a minister. And he was made a minister to preach the gospel. It wasn't because he was the most educated. It wasn't because he was the most popular. It wasn't because he had this charismatic uh, 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 attitude. It wasn't that his sermons were, were, were striking. I mean, actually, someone falls out of a, a, a roof because he's listening to Paul and, and he falls asleep. So it wasn't that he was the most eloquent. No, it says, I was made a minister. Paul was given this gift to preach through the effectual working of God's power. And that is the same for us, brothers and sisters. Listen to what Acts 9.15 says. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. This was Paul's conversion on the road uh, to um, Damascus. I'm getting Eumaeus and Damascus mixed up. Dick, it's your fault. But look, look what it says. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument. This is when he's telling, them, telling one of the, his disciples to go and pray over Paul so that the, these, 
These scales come up. He is a chosen instrument of mine. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers. Christ is the one. God is the one who has made us sufficient. Colossians 1, 23 through 25. Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. We'll stop there. He became a minister to it. And so the same with us, brothers and sisters. We are made ministers of the gospel. We have this stewardship, which is called the gospel, which is life. It is life-saving. And we are stewards of this gospel to proclaim the gospel. He uses it in a different way. If you turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians. Turn with me really quick to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul uses the, the, the word ambassador, right? So when we look at ambassadors, we see that uh, uh, politically there's ambassadors, right? We, the, the government has ambassadors to China, has ambassadors to Italy, has ambassadors uh, to the Middle East. And these are people that go and they represent the United States, right? Paul, in this section, he's going to call every believer an ambassador of Christ, we are ambassadors of the king of kings. This is way more than an appointment by the president. This is an appointment by the king of kings as an ambassador to do what? To preach his word, to proclaim his gospel. This is what he says. Look at verse uh, 20. He says, therefore, we are with, they're therefore all above, read that. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is what God does. He makes his appeal through you and I. We are God's chosen instruments to proclaim the beauty and the majesty and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul took this and he saw it as it was a, a, a humble calling. There was no arrogance to it. We don't see Paul sitting there saying, yeah, right on, right? I mean, we, we, we look in John and, and uh, the, the parents of, of uh, a couple of disciples come to Jesus and says, hey, can my kids sit on your right and your left in your kingdom? This was not Paul. Paul was not this. Paul was not this at all. Go back to Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians. Look at chapter 3. Verse 8, he says to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He was not an arrogant man. Paul viewed himself as the very least of all the saints, the smallest, Paul is saying. That's actually what his name means. It means small. That's what his name means. Who am the least, the least of all the saints. Paul understood the depths of his sin and he understood what he's been saved from and he saw this as this grace of God, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 9, for I am not the least of the apostles, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, 
because I persecuted the church of God. Paul was the one that held the robes of all the people that came and stoned Stephen. He was putting Christians in jail. He was off to get them on the road to Damascus, and he got knocked off his horse by a bright light, and it was Jesus. He persecuted the church. He understood this. Listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 1.13. There was no arrogance in him. He was a humble, humble man because he understood what Jesus had saved him from. Listen to 1 Timothy 1.13-15. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, do you refer to yourself that way? Do you look at yourself that way that at one time you were a blasphemer, a persecutor? an insolent opponent of Jesus? This is what kept Paul so humble. He understood. He saw what he was saved from. But I, but I have received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul thought he was the worst of worst. By the time he dies, he says, I am the chief of all sinners. You see, here's, our, here's the, the, the dilemma we, we, we kind of have. When we grow and we continue to grow and we pursue holiness, and we chase after Christ, and we see Christ for more and more of what he is, guess what happens? We see us for who we really were and who we really are. I think that's why Paul, before he died, says, I was the chief of sinners, because he, his visions of Christ were so grand that he was like, oh, man. So there was no arrogance in his calling. You see, this was his calling. This was not Paul's vocation. It was his calling. We know what his vocation was. What was his vocation? He was a tent maker, right? He says that. They, they, he would go do tents because he didn't want to be a burden to the church, right? It wasn't his vocation. It was his calling. Brothers and sisters, we have the same calling. When God saved you, he called you to preach his gospel, so let us preach the gospel to the Gentiles. What are we to preach? We're to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is what we are to preach. To proclaim good tidings. To preach unsearchable riches of Christ. This word unsearchable means a track which cannot be experienced. Incomprehensible. The riches of Christ that blow us away. We're to proclaim the riches of Christ. How about these? Let's proclaim these riches. Redemption through his blood, Ephesians 1.7. Forgiveness of our sins, Ephesians 1.7. The riches of his kindness, Ephesians 2.7. The fullness of his grace, John 1.16. Christ becomes our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, 1 Corinthians 1.30. The riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. Let's just take the next week and meditate on that. Let's just do that and see how the riches of Christ transform your life. In addition, Paul was to bring to light the plan of the mystery. He was to bring to light the plan of the church, Ephesians 3, 9, right? And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. 
Paul had the honor to preach the deeper truths of the, of the church, to, to preach what the, the church looks like, how, how we are to worship God, how God wants to be worshipped. Paul doesn't give any type of description on what a worship service should look like, but he tells us what the object of our worship should be. And it should be Christ and Christ alone. That should be it. He gives those details of that's who it is. This is the plan of the church. And this is what the crazy thing is, is when you look at the plan of the church, look at Ephesians 10 and uh, 3, 10 and 11. This is what he says, that, 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 the church, that the church puts on the manifold wisdom of God, right? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom, this multicolor, this multiform, this immense infinite wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is crazy talk, right? He's saying that the church, us, this body, when we are working as we should and we are worshiping as we should and we are loving as we should, the church puts on the manifold, this immense wisdom of God to the angels. To the angels. First Peter tells us that our salvation, the angels, just, just take a peek, the angels, they see God saving us sinners, and the angels look, and they're amazed. That's what First Peter tells us. They long to look into that. Wow, what's going on? And think about that. Think about what the angels saw. They saw creation. They saw the fall, the flood, the rise, and falls of kingdoms, the king on the throne the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, right? They've seen all these things, but in First Peter, they long to look into our salvation. They saw all these grand things, but God says no, but what the church puts on display is the manifold wisdom, God saving sinners and bringing them together into one body to worship him, and the angels go, wow, that is amazing. That's amazing. The church is, the, is ultimately to bring glory to God and secondly, display the manifold wisdom to his angels. Listen to Psalms 104, 24. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. 1133 of Romans. Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. And yet the church is the one that puts that very thing on display. And finally, the last one is we have a stewardship of suffering. We have a stewardship within the church, what we are to do, what we are to proclaim, who we are, fellow heirs. We have the stewardship to preach the gospel, and we have a stewardship to suffer for the gospel. This is the one we don't like, to suffer for the gospel, right? Look at Ephesians 3, 12, and 13 in whom we have boldness, access with confidence through our faith in him. I'm not dealing with that because we dealt with that last week. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. When we preach the good news of the gospel, we're going to offend people. We're going to offend them. Guess what? They're not going to like you. But you want to know what? Maybe they never liked you to begin with. And so maybe you got nothing to lose but to preach the gospel to them. But why don't we preach the gospel? Sometimes we don't preach the gospel because of fear, right? We're, we're, we're afraid that somebody might not like me. Paul suffered for the gospel. Brothers and sisters, when you live life and you live a godly life, 
Timothy says you will be persecuted. He doesn't say that it might come. He says you will be persecuted. We will endure suffering when we preach the gospel. But what does Paul say? It's for your glory. Think about it. Think, think about the persecuted church. Think about the China, Chinese church that's persecuted. That's glory. Right? That's glory. They're persecuted for what they believe. That's the glory. That's what Paul's talking about. Don't lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Don't lose heart over his imprisonment. Why shouldn't we lose heart over his imprisonment? Because look at what's going on. Look at Acts, or listen to Acts 14, 21 and 22. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had not made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Right? This was a good thing. 2 Corinthians 1, 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Think about what happened to Paul. Paul was beaten. He was whipped. Spent a day in the deep, right? He was stoned. And after he was stoned, he got back up and went back in and preached the gospel again. That's, that's, that's love for Christ. That's love for the gospel. That's faithful to his mission. It's faithful to his commission. It's faithful to his stewardship. Was to suffer. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Listen, this is what he says. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. He's in prison. What's he doing in prison? He's preaching the gospel. Right? So that it becomes known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Without fear. Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Yeah, amen. Thanks, Pete. Amen. That's where we should land, brothers and sisters, right there. The suffering, the preaching of the gospel, the putting Christ on display should not be compared to anything here. But it's glory for us. It's glory for us. So brothers and sisters, today, today as we leave today, when we look at these verses, may you and I rejoice in the fact that Christ, through his work on the cross, has made us heirs. He has made us partakers of the body. He's made us partakers of him. May we take our stewardship and preach the word, and may we suffer well for Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement that it brings. And I pray, Lord, it would sit deep within us. And that, Lord, we would proclaim the riches of your word to those 
who need to hear it. And not only to those who even need to hear it, Lord, but to ourselves. May you constantly, Lord, in our reading, wherever we are in our reading, wherever we are in our devotions, Lord, and in our time that we spend with you praying, may you be constantly reminding us, Father, of your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your compassion and your love for us. That we would go and preach your word because you have called us to this holy calling and what a calling it is, Lord. May faith Bible, Lord, be faithful to the proclamation of putting Christ on glorious display and not themselves. In your name, amen. Please stand as we sing our closing song.